You're listening to KPFT Houston 90.1 FM. Stay tuned for Technology Bites coming up next. Listening to 90.1 FM KPFT Houston. Tonight's edition, Technology Bites. Gonna see if I hey, did. I was wondering if like, they would get the mics right. I, I feel like I'm a mic out of sync. They're right. Uh, this is nice. This is the first time I've had internet in. Um, 
gosh, about six hours. Comcast has been out in League City since a little bit after 2 o'clock. So this is my first time getting to see my email and everything, and it's, it's nice to be connected again. Too bad you can't go into work and nope. use their internet. <clears throat> I wanted nope. to fly into New York City. No action on your phone? Well, I mean, yeah, I could pull that out. But you got everything gonna... on your phone. You got email, Don't you have a hot internet. No, no hotspot because I use um, um, Straight Talk. I use no hotspot. You use no hotspot internet. I use no hotspot internet. I use uh, prepaid internet, and one of the stipulations of Straight Talk prepaid internet is um, wireless only. Well, no, just no hotspot. It's it's Can't nice use and cheap. Phone as, but a, as a no Wi-Fi. So, like my phone, I can use it as a hotspot. Right. And get internet, and I do that on occasion. Like if my internet at home is crazy. Or not working. Yup. I do that. Well, and so earlier today, Comcast was saying the outage would be over. I called their, their line, and they said the outage will be over at 5.54 p.m., which seemed an oddly specific time. So as we got closer and closer, they hadn't updated it. So I, I got on Twitter, and I tweeted at the tweeted at the Comcast, at Comcast cares. cares account. And I was like, what are you people doing? <laughs> Fix my internet, blah, blah, blah. And at 5... 55, which is a minute after their outage was supposed to be over, they DM'd me back, and they were like, we estimate the outage will be over at 5.54 p.m. And I responded, <laughs> and I was like, that's like three minutes ago at this point, and the outage is still happening. And now Why? when you call when Fake you call the news. line... Yeah, I called them right before I left for the show, and they say that I should check back in 24 hours. Oh, wow. So, I don't know, I may, have, I may just be calling in sick tomorrow, and not, I mean... Uh, although with no internet at the house, calling in sick is yeah, pretty boring. No what am I supposed to do? All right. Get well, out. welcome to Technology Bites. I'm Jay Lee. I'm Peter Hughes. I'm Flicted. I'm, I'm Lee. And he's? Groove House. Barrett is out tonight. He, he, like Lee, you know, do not use their show misses strategically. <laughs> <laughs> Screwed it up. The fundraiser's over. That was over when we were doing it, but yeah, <laughs> based on much. the response. But yeah, so welcome to the show. We're glad you could tune in. You can visit us online at geekradio.com. Cuckoo. <laughs> you owe me. Jake, <laughs> oh, you owe me. <laughs> and uh, you can also hang out with us in the chat, chat.geekradio.com. Let's go there now. Let's. You know what I like about chat.geekradio.com mm. is that. When you join the chat channel, you can see all the previous chats, all yeah. the stuff that's oh, been that's going nice. on. Yeah. Like in IRC, nice. if you didn't have something logging the channel, you nope. didn't know what was going nope. on. Missed out. But here you could go into uh, the channel and you can see what you know what the handful of people were talking about last week. I like that. I like, I like it too. too. That's good. It's nice. We use the same technology at work. Mattermost. I'm actually thinking of replacing this with something else, but <clears throat> I, and I set up another test one. This is Mattermost. There's another one called Rocket Chat that I actually That's like the one. I'm sorry. Better. I thought this was Rocket Chat. No, I have a test Rocket Chat instance set up, um, and we can try it out offline and, and see if we like it better. It might be worth switching because I like it. Personally, okay. I like it Does better. it let you see all the past chats? Or is yeah, it... yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's the same deal. The thing I like about it... Are we switching again? It, probably. The thing I like more about <laughs> Rocket Chat is that on the right side of the screen, it'll show you a list of who's in the channel, IRC style. Uh, uh, and this stupid one doesn't, for whatever uh, our reason. Our online chat options are going to be the like our uh, Spinal Tap drummers. Oh, yes. Let's <laughs> <laughs> we'll just keep getting new ones. Yeah, totally. After they blow up violently. All right, so yeah, so you can hang out with us in the chat channel. You can also visit us online at geekradio.com. I was really 
debating whether or not we're going to have a geek gathering, but we're going to have a geek gathering. Got to have a geek gathering. I think it'll be fine. It's going to be spring-like, disgusting, humid weather. Should be fine. Well, I, you know, it's just it's in proximity to downtown, and if you've been driving around Houston lately, it's Collins. I know. He's got upstairs parking. But tonight, I was coming into the radio station from you know deep, deep suburbia. And there is, there's weirdness it's, out there. It's amping up. For there sure. are definitely, sure. like I saw this, there was a convoy of Jeeps. And I don't know what the first one and this, the last one were, I think, the, but they were escorting two Jeeps. And one had the Falcons logo blazoned on it. And the other one had the Patriots logo. Jeeps. And they were just, they were, but they were these kind of fat, you know, muscular Jeeps with hmm. big tires. <clears throat> and really, obviously new paint it's, jobs. Hmm. So they, they, Respective you know, teams, Jeep clubs on parade. Possibly. It was, uh, yeah, they may anything. have had it, you know, who knows? There's a lot of stuff. There's some on. guy on the corner of 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 Alabama and, and Montrose who's got a tent set up and he's doing some kind of tailgate thing at the gas station. I didn't really, couldn't tell. There's weird low-flying helicopters that are scanning for radiation. Yeah, I intend uh, to just barricade myself in my house what? from Saturday to Sunday because no thanks. I haven't seen that yet. You haven't seen it? Strange, weird helicopter that's low-flying Houston all over the place. And apparently, according to the fake news channel, they, uh, they're they looking for radiation signatures. Sweet. You know, because <clears throat> terrorism. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I guess in case somebody takes a page out of a Tom Clancy novel and tries to nuke the game. Okay. Well, careful. I know there's going to be protests. Listening. <laughs> I know there's going to be protests out there. Man, there were there were protests everywhere. Anyway, I, I was in. Um, me and my dad went to the 24 Hours of Daytona over the weekend, and um, what? Which is in Orlando. I know. Uh, is that know. like car racing? Yes, car, car, car racing, race cars. No, it's not a circle track. There's a there's a road portion I in the middle. Circle, but it's did y'all compete? Track. You and your dad compete? Yes, we, we, yes. That is yes, awesome, father-son. Totally he, he took the Hyundai out there and <laughs> we rocked it. <laughs> no, but coming back in Orlando Airport, I mean, we, you know, dropped the rental car off and, oh, yeah. and walked the into the airport somewhere. and um, went up. It was like, really, everything was Delta, fine. No, 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 we're on United. But we walked into the airport and rode the escalator up to the check-in level and it was like, boom, you are now in protest land. There's walls of, wow. wall of cops escorting people around. Um, it was crazy. Wow. And then when, when we landed <clears throat> at Intercontinental, we landed in Terminal C, and I was looking on Twitter, and Twitter was saying, protesters everywhere at Intercontinental, and, I'm, we, and there was nothing in Terminal C. Apparently, they were all over International. In e. Yeah. They, they were in they, E. I would figure if they were going to protest International, they'd be in D, because D is where all the international arrivals are supposed to be. But I guess Continental lands in E, too. Well, what are Continental? United I'm sure the protesters had no idea what they were doing. I have no idea they were what pro- they knew or didn't know. <laughs> they were probably, you know, they could have showed up at the Southwest Airlines terminal and said, "Let them in." You know, I wonder if they did. I didn't check to see if anybody was protesting at Hobby. That would be that would be interesting. Although Hobby it was a vintage protest, they were all dressed as like you know suffragettes. <laughs> Out at the old terminal, that would be a really vintage protest. <laughs> Uh, all right. So anyway, we're glad you could tune in. It's not fundraiser, so. But if you want to send us money, hey, there is a tip jar. You, you are more to, than you welcome. Need to consider that we fell, you know, we not fell only te- way short. Not only technology bites with the radio station, we didn't fall way, way short, but we fell short. <laughs> Pretty short. We <laughs> fell. Technology bites fell on its face yes. and drowned in its own shame. <laughs> but KPFT fell a little short overall, and so if you can go to kpft.org. And hit the tip jar and make a donation. A couple bucks, great. anything. Whatever. Yeah. Just whatever you can. Because this is, you know, listener sponsors radio is important. These days it's especially important that we have this voice, uh, this 
outlet here in Houston, Texas and the world. So consider supporting it. It's, it's important. If you, you know, if you can afford the gas to drive to the airport and protest, if you can, you know, buy Hobby Lobby supplies to make signs that have clever, hateful sayings about your favorite or least favorite president, <laughs> whatever, you know, if you can spend that, you can spend a few bucks, you know, supporting KPFT. That would be awesome. Thank you. Anyway, so uh, Barrett's not here. Okay, so we're going to now take our advantage of doing a regular show. So if you want to, <laughs> yeah. if you want to participate in tonight's program, the phone number is seven one three five two six five seven three eight. That's seven one three five two six KPFT. If you want to dial in, talk to Groovehouse for a second. Flicked has volunteered to take calls tonight. Flicked is going to take him. Yeah. Awesome. Put him on. We're put, swapping. And All I've right. got if uh, if we bog down, I have a football story that I can tell. Right. It's my we, only real story. We may not need to bog down to Just hear that case. because your stories are great on TV. <laughs> All right. Gather around the fire. Gather around the ashtray, kids. <laughs> All right. So we're going to we're gonna invite you to call in if you want to be a part of the show tonight. Call on in. 713-526-5738. But first. We, we may not be able to hang up on you because Barrett usually presses oh, that button. you're going to have to learn. Oh, yeah. I'm going to have to learn how the buttons work. All right. Well, so if you get on. You may, you just may, be, you may be on forever. Be the right. co-host for the show. <laughs> You'll be the new Barrett. <laughs> <laughs> we're auditioning Barrett's. Must have broken phone. <laughs> it must have missing keys on keyboard. <laughs> All right. So handlebar gonna, mustache. And a handlebar mustache. Or one just painted and you on have to you. Be able to, and you have to be able to not do a Barrett time every week. That's right. <laughs> Very important. You have you have to raise and then disappoint expectations <laughs> on that. Aww. All right. Well, it's been so long since he's done one. I don't even know what I'm missing anymore. Yeah. I just like the intro. Yeah. <laughs> just play the intro anyway. Maybe you could do something. Maybe your football story should be a Barrett time. That's fine. We could do that. <laughs> uh. All right. But first, we're going to go out to San Antonio and do the Technology Bytes info shot. So take it away, info shot. It's the Technology Bytes info shot. Technology news and commentary by Peter Hughes. Injected directly into your skull. <laughs> So I know Jay mentioned at the beginning of the show that you can go to geekradio.com for a lot of stuff. One of the things that is there is links to all the different news articles and sources that we use for the show. So you can uh, you can access them there at geekradio.com, or they also do show up on our Facebook page. I don't know. It's first story, you know. Okay, we'll get we'll get the political one out first. Then you can then it'll just pass. You know, like the next four years. Anyways, uh, uh, President Donald Trump's order Friday banning immigrants and visitors from seven Muslim nations is being met by both harsh and somber verbal resistance from top tech sector leaders from Apple to Y Combinator. Uh, the move was racist, affected perhaps thousands of tech, work, tech workers, and was un-American, the executive said in tweets, emails, Facebook posts, blog posts, and in LinkedIn entries. Uh, Steve Altman, president of the startup mentorship program Y Combinator, urged the tech sector to, quote, take a stand, unquote, against the order that has launched a wave of chaos throughout the immigration system and prompted protests nationwide. Altman said the executive order, quote, is tantamount to a Muslim ban and requires objection. I'm obviously in favor of safety and rules, but broad stroke actions targeted as, at a specific religious group is the wrong solution and the first step toward a further reduction in rights. Uh, for his part, Google CEO Sundar Pichai uh, told employees that more than 100 Google workers are affected by the executive order, and he urged staff members who were traveling overseas 
to get back immediately. Um, and uh, now in other, other news, this one, the uh, um, you other know, uh Lee was talking about the uh, chart, the uh, Comcast outage. This one is not Comcast, but uh, Spectrum, which is the old Charter Cable and Warner Cable, Time Warner Cable combined. Um, New York's Attorney General is suing Spectrum, uh, claiming the company lied about internet speeds. Eric Schneiderman filed the lawsuit in Manhattan State Supreme Court on Wednesday, following a 16-month investigation. Uh, the Attorney General argues that Charter and its subsidiary, Spectrum, have provided subpar services with Internet speeds slower than the company advertised. Uh, Spectrum was Time Warner before Charter purchased it in a deal that was completed in May of 2016. Schneiderman wants Charter to pay back its customers for broken promises on Internet speeds for a period from January 1st, 2012 to today. Uh, with 2.5 million New Yorkers using Spectrum, uh, Charter would have to reimburse customers up to $1 billion for each year since 2012. Ouch. Customers paying $110 a month for 300 megabits per second were on average only getting 85 megabits per second. Oops. Uh, 75% off, not on the price, but on the actual bandwidth you get. Uh, according to Schneiderman at a press conference Wednesday, uh, those paying $70 a month for 100 megabits per second were barely getting 50. On average, Wi-Fi speeds were 80% slower than what customers were promised. Uh, the investigators found internal emails from the company's in- executives acknowledging their Internet speeds did not match what they advertise. Quote, it is a consistent story of bad performance and a long-term business plan built on deceit, said Schneiderman. A lawsuit also criticized Spectrum Time Warner for charging customers $10 a month to rent subpar modems that slowed down Internet speeds even more. In internal emails, the company's engineers recommended at least D3 modems, even as Time Warner's executives continued dishing out D2 modems to save costs. Uh, Between May 2012 and February 2016, Subscribers paid $600 million in modem fees alone. This is just in New York City. They think about all the other places and all the other cable customers. Um, Charter has said it has made, quote, significant commitments, unquote, to improve Time Warner Cable's services since acquiring the company. Uh, we are disappointed that the New York Attorney General chose to file this lawsuit regarding Time Warner Cable's broadband speed advertisements that occurred prior to Charter's merger, the company said in a statement. Uh, Schneiderman's office started looking into slow internet speeds in October 2015 through a survey asking New Yorkers what their actual speeds were compared to what their companies advertised. And then now uh, the harsh and competitive world of online e-commerce has claimed another, I don't know, product. Uh, After launching less than a year ago, Walmart is scrapping Shipping Pass, its subscription program meant to compete with Amazon's free shipping, Amazon Prime's free shipping, uh, instead, they're going to offer free two-day shipping without a membership, providing you order goods worth up to $35, uh, which that's down from $50 before. Uh, by contrast, Shipping Pass members got free shipping on all items with a $50 membership, which was half the price of Amazon Prime, but without major perks like same-day shipping uh, and music and video streaming, which is what you get from Amazon Prime. Quote, it's probably, or no, unquote, uh, it's probably fair to say that the program didn't take off the way Walmart wanted, but the company spun it a different way. Quote, in this day and age, 
two-day shipping is really just table stakes. People shouldn't have to pay for it, and certainly not a membership, said e-commerce president Mark Lohr sullenly in a mild dig. Again, I added the sullenly against his online arch rival. Uh, however, people certainly are, were willing to pay for it with Amazon as the online retail giant now has some 50 million U.S. subscribers, 90% of whom renew each year. And while the streaming, lending library, and same-day shipping are nice perks, most folks say they do it because of free day, free two-day shipping, uh, according to, to Kantar. Um, Walmart's $500 billion in sales as a company dwarfs Amazon's $110 billion figure, but Amazon's customers tend to be loyal once they sign up to Prime and spend as much as non-members or spend twice as much as non-members. Amazon also has 40 million products available for prime shipping, 20 times what Walmart offers. Uh, Laura says, however, that, quote, there won't be too many product, products that you'll want that won't be available with two-day shipping in their program, uh, in the Walmart one. Uh, Walmart was reportedly planning to offer prime-like services with the streaming service it purchased in 2010, Vudu, along with other perks, at this point, it's not clear if such a program is still in the works unless it's using the free two-day shipping as a stopgap while it retools its own membership program. Uh, the company declined to say how many folks signed up for Shipping Pass, but it will provide full refunds for all members. So on the plus side, if you did sign up for it, you'll get your 50 bucks back after all your times getting the free two-day shipping and stuff. Uh, now more now now futurey stuff sort of future now stuff. The, see some things are too if it's too far in the future, it's not a try buy or fry thing. Uh, this one actually you could file under try buy or fly, uh, but it's not coming that soon. <laughs> you think self driving cars are futuristic? Imagine them flying overhead. That's what Euro European aerospace titan Airbus has done in designing its Vahana electric autonomous plane which can fly a single passenger on trips of around 50 miles, getting there about twice as fast as by car. Uh, Airbus teased two possibilities for the Vahana on December 14th, an electric helicopter and a plane with wings that tilt up to enable vertical takeoff and landing, or VTOL. Uh, after its engineers ran the numbers on both types, Airbus today announced it is building a prototype of the tilt-wing tilt plane, which has got a real sci-fi look and will begin test flights before the end of the year. Uh, quote, the vehicle's being built, parts are being made as we speak, says Airbus Chief Engineer Jeffrey Bauer. Uh, now, don't spend too much time fantasizing about your first ride in such an aircraft just yet, though. The company's goal is to get air taxis in service in about 10 years, possibly parting with, par partnering with ride-hailing companies like Uber. Uh, quote, we would love to see what kind of partnership what kind of partnership it might evolve into, uh, says Mariana Sanko of Airbus Ventures. Uh, the Vahana looks far different from other small planes because it has to fly straight up and down to fit tight urban landscapes without runways. It achieves that with two sets of wings. One sprouts from the craft's nose and one from the tail, which tilt up about 90 degrees to a vertical position. The wings carry eight propellers in total, uh, making the Vahana look like a forest of helicopters on a ascent and descent wings rotate level for flight providing the extra lift that lets the plane travel more than twice as far as the helicopter design uh, that the airbus was considering uh before uh the vahana will also just in case you were worrying you know what happens you know if this thing craps out in the middle of your flight uh it will have a parachute 
to bring the whole plane down gently in case of an emergency. Um, according to Mark Moore, who heads NASA's research on new plane technology, um, the Airbus Vahana concept is a very good approach. It's going to work, he says. Uh, he works on, you know, the uh, on electric propulsion, autonomous control, and personal craft for NASA. Uh, NASA consults with Airbus and other companies developing next-gen planes and equipment for them. Uh, the Vahana is meant to carry a single passenger on short, inexpensive flights when time is too tight to drive, meaning like every day to work, right? Uh, no, if you, if you have that kind of money. Um, advances in autonomous cars show that a self-piloted plane is also a possibility and perhaps less of a stretch. Uh, Mariana Senko says, uh, we've had autopilot for a long time. There are fewer obstacles. <laughs> you don't have children running into the way. I guess unless they've got, unless you start having your children riding their toy drones. Uh, a lot more work has gone into managing overall traffic for planes than for cars, she says. Um, some others are more circumspect, uh, saying, I think the technology for a true autonomous plane carrying passengers, I think five years is a bit short. Um, and uh, Airbus, uh, one other note is Airbus won't name the companies it's working with to provide the AI for the autonomous control. Uh, the biggest obstacle for this kind of thing is not really the plane itself, uh, but the infrastructure around it, because it has to have landing pads throughout urban environments, which may be difficult for people, hard sell for the people who live nearby. You also have to, um, you know, charge them, charge them up. It's going to be electric. So you have to have those around. Uh, costs need to be something on the order of $40 for a 15-minute flight. And although the regulatory process has started, it's going to be a long haul. So that's why they're talking about, you know, it being at least 10 years before there's a real business. Um, uh, Wolf says, uh, I, I think to have the aircraft within five years is certainly possible. To have a functional functioning urban air mobility system in five years, I think that's too soon. I think 10 years is a more likely window. And then the other self-driving thing is self-driving cars. And now, the, you know, at the end of the year, at the end of 2016, um, their report card for self-driving cars is out. Uh, the California DMV just released its annual state of disengagement reports, is what it's called. Um, documents provided by the 11 companies that received state permits to test autonomous vehicles by the end of 2015. Uh, the results summarized. Uh, the results reveal how other, how often humans had to wrest control away from the computer, and why they had to. Sort of. Uh, the reports aren't a great measure of how the technology performs, but they do reveal rapid progress towards the day when you no longer are needed behind the wheel. Uh, Google and General Motors are leading the class with cars capable of driving hundreds of miles at a stretch without trouble. Uh, but even those who don't make the honor roll show impressive gains. Nissan's robocars, for example, needed human intervention once ever, every 247 miles in 2016, and that's compared to once every 14 miles in 2015. So uh, um, the problem, the only thing is disengagements where the human takes over um, are not a scientific measure of the complexity and operating characteristics of the vehicles. They're just one very interesting data point. Um, they're, they're unscientific because each disengagement involves all sorts of variables, which the reports log inconsistently. Uh, they don't reveal the impact of weather or where exactly these problems occurred. 
They don't note if the cars are following detailed maps or exploring an area for the first time. And they don't account for the proclivities of human operators who likely have different thresholds for when they'll take over. So you don't know, was the person behind the wheel, you know, jumpy and, and you know, jumped the gun? Or were they, you know, for one car in one report and then the same car in another report where they, you know, where somebody was more mellow and let the thing go? Um Automation experts warn that these shortcomings and the fact individual reports offer a unique blend of information means you can't fairly use them to compare one company's progress against another. Um, so there's that. Uh, however imperfect, the reports are better than nothing, especially because other states with self-driving regulations, including Nevada, Michigan, and Florida, don't demand any public disclosures. That's why no one knows much about Uber's testing because they're not in testing in California. Uh, California's law may be flawed, but it keeps public and public officials in the in the loop and should help build trust as these systems move toward commercial use. And I think that would be valuable, <laughs> knowing, knowing how well they're doing or not and having a report card on it certainly seems like something that would help people feel more comfortable or know if they need to be worried about self-driving cars. And that's the news. Right. Welcome. Excellent. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> welcome. Uh, I made that comment about. Now we just need to find the self self running radio show, huh? Yeah, that'd be nice. Get some AI in there. I was going to say I, I can I, play I, poker I, now too. I made that comment about sticky weather at the geek gathering, but it actually looks uh, surprisingly nice on Friday night. Saying by the time we roll around there. Uh, let's see, 7 p.m. weather for the Geek Gathering on this coming Friday. Looks like it's going to be 58, 59, uh, and uh, potentially, 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 potentially reasonably low <laughs> humidity. It does not look like it's going to be garbagey weather, so that's nice. The, the humidity is going to drop below 100 percent. Yeah, it might um, be down in the 80s. Just in time for the Geek Gathering. <laughs> we'll see. Well, we hope you'll come out to the Geek Gathering. It'd be nice to have a nice little Geek Gathering. I don't yeah. think the traffic should be too bad on Friday night around that area. It's it's a fair distance away from uh, Discovery Green, and I think it should be fine. So I'm hoping people will come out. All right. So I can see that Groovehouse has a call in the queue for us. We're going to invite you to join that queue at 713-526-5738. If you'd like to comment on any of the news stories that Pete covered in the info shot, or if you have something else you think is interesting that we should talk about, or if you have a problem you think we might be able to solve, we invite you to call 713-526-5738. Groovehouse. Yes. Who do we have? All right, up first on the show, we're going to speak with Gary. Gary, you're on the air with Technology Bytes. Hello, I have a mystery, and I thought you could help me out. Um, it's it's kind of mundane, but uh, I have a Kindle, and my wife has a Kindle, and we, they were kind of birthday presents, and then we got a replacement Kindle, and we plug them in and charge them. It came with a little charger uh, module, and uh, you plug it in, and you can hook your wire in, and we get it up to 100%, and then we unplug it and put it aside, and... Next day, uh, when we go to turn it on, it shows 94% or 92%. Now, if you don't utilize the device, uh, is it three of them? All three of them do the same thing. Is this a function of the quality of the battery? Is it some kind of Wi-Fi thing, or is it a product deficiency? Why would uh, did a you battery say discharge? I hope if, the hell if my you leave it in the 
if you leave it another day, how much does it go down? If you don't use it, but you leave it another day, does it stay oh, pretty I, close I to the ninety six percent? But it... if we leave it like uh, for eight hours, say it loses uh, four to six percent. Well, that's normal. Is it? Why is that the battery design? No, no, no. It's it has nothing to do with the battery, Gary. The the device is constantly talking back and forth to to Amazon servers, even if you're not using it. It checks in. It sees if you have any purchases waiting. It it checks for updates for itself. Like every, I don't know what the schedule it's on, but every X number of minutes, it'll it'll it, even though the screen won't turn on, it'll wake itself up and call home. Those things are always connected. Uh, that's what someone told me. I think there's like a zombie. It last about two weeks. I mean, you disconnect the device and it's still functioning. Well, I mean, when you say you disconnect the device, it's still connected via via Wi-Fi. It's still on its, you know, okay. it's it's still alive. Basically, it's not, it, and it's supposed to do that, right? It's not. <clears throat> excuse me. It's it's designed to continually check in with the mothership and see if there is any. You know, any see if data any, that's relevant yeah, for you. any updates waiting, any any new books it needs to download for you. It does all that in the background while you're not using it. So that when you do use it, the, the idea being, it's all updated and ready to go. Now, I don't know what the Kindle's, how long it's supposed to last on a charge. Pete might know the answer, though. Do you have a Kindle, Pete? Uh, yeah, although I, I don't pay that close attention. You know, basically, I look at it, and if it needs charging, um, it seems like losing 5% a day, that would be 20 days that it uh, um that it would last, and that that seems like that's short to me. If you're not using it, um, it seems like that's uh, um, it seems like it's a, it's a little bit short. I thought it was supposed to last about a month. Um, well, so, way out see. in the country, so it could be uh, the quality of our signal. That's also very possible. If well, I mean, if you're on Wi-Fi, is it is it a? I don't know if Kindles have cellular connections or not. No, Kindles point. do have cellular connection. They have that yeah. always on cellular connection. That allows you to download books from the Amazon uh, store, and it's you don't pay for that data service. Okay, well that's but a possibility it, then, Gary. If you are if you are far out there, um, but it, also if it's you like have any cell phone, if you have it paired with your Wi-Fi at home, you should use that. That's going to also use it more energy from the device but it doesn't sound like you've got a problem if it's doing all it, on all three devices i think it's probably normal no well, that's why I asked. There, yeah if, if you have a battery suppose you well you've solved the mystery it makes perfect sense thank you so much mm -hmm. all right Gary. thanks for your call go ahead and if gary's still listening i i did find in, in looking for how much battery life it's supposed to have kindle has advert or amazon has advertised them as charge monthly not daily but you know that that get, there's a fair amount of wiggle room and that's marketing but i did find an article at how to geek um called how to maximize your kindle's battery and really get a month of reading and they they give a number of tips there are ways you can put it in airplane mode and then it won't be you know the radios won't be running and it won't yeah. be checking in as often and um there's a few other things that you can do um manually sleep it and uh um some of those things so there there are some ways that they could get more life especially if they're thinking that the problem is a signal issue i would think uh airplane mode could help a lot yep yep Good yeah airplane i mean even my uh even my sony camera has uh wi-fi and all this stuff and i have it has an airplane mode on my camera because it really will just drain the battery and my that's wild my 
what I don't get is my camera will drain the battery even when it's off. The battery just, I don't know what it's doing or why it does that, but it, the battery will just drain. It probably it's... tries to, if it's, if it's got, if it's got Wi-Fi, probably it's trying to get a, a time sync and a GPS. But sync even in and... airplane mode and then turned off. Oh, well, then I got nothing. I, I don't know why it's doing that. It's evil. It's but I, I hate batteries, and I hate battery-powered things, but I need them. <laughs> and I do. I get, you know, I, I, can, I can see getting weirded out. You know, it's like, you know, if your phone is, you know, you, you charge your phone up, you go, yeah, I got 100%, you know, and you get to work, and it's down to 98%. You go, where did that 2% go? I didn't make any phone calls. I didn't do anything, but it's checking for email. It's doing whatever it does. And I do find that, you know, with most devices, while they may not stay at 100% as long as you might think they should, that they'll kind of get to an equilibrium, yeah. you know, down around 90% or 80%. And you think, you know, you're losing that much that quick, but really the overall drainage of the battery will will work out. And it's also, I think it has something to do with the way that the device calculates mm. how much battery life is left yeah. based on what it's been doing in that time. And so the first period of time, it might seem a little drastic, but as you use it, it might come up with a better average and give you, it'll, you know, it might go from, it's like a gas tank, you know, like your gas gauge on the car. Like, you know, it takes a long time to get ha to half a tank, but then all of a sudden it goes crazy to eat. Like it sometimes, yeah. That's what it seems like. But I think phones and, and wireless devices, like battery powered devices, are kind of the opposite. They seem to kind of drop quickly at first, but then they kind of like, all the, you know, that last 10, 15% seems to last a while. Mm-hmm. All right, well, 713-526-5738 if you want to be on the air with us. I see we do have another call in the queue, so before we do another segment, we'll go ahead and take this call and see what we can do to help this person out or hear what this person has to say. Go ahead, Crew House. Who do we have? Up next, we're going to speak with Crew. Crew. Actually, this is Drew. Drew. Oh. Well, but, uh, there you go. Crew well, tonight you're, tonight you're Crew, though. No. <laughs> I am so honored that you'll talk to me. I'll take it. Uh, All right, so, Motley. <laughs> the, uh, the situation is I'm trying to connect uh, the earphone output out of my cassette, if you remember cassette, yep. machine, into uh, my uh, PC. Okay. I feel the Packard PC, and uh, I, I think I've connected it to the uh, right source, but I cannot find it uh, through the... Uh, the software here, the line-in properties of the sound card and so forth. So I thought I'd ask for your help. This is like a afflicted question almost, getting into AV land here. All right, so the the audio out from the cassette through like an eighth-inch jack, and there's an audio input on your sound card in your computer. Right. To be able to access that, you probably need. Well, I mean, so you bring up like the recorder, like there isn't there the like the little recorder program, right? Which says recording. Yeah, so it allows you, to, and then uh, you should be able to preview the sound. It's been a long time since I've ever tried to do this. I was thinking if you if you bring up uh, Drew, which version of Windows are we talking about here? Ten. Okay, so I was thinking if you bring up. Like if you the mixer. if you bring up the the mixer or whatever, like if you s single click, Ooh. no no wait not single click. So if you right click, I'm gonna do this from memory. I don't have Windows right 10 in front of me. Right click on the speaker. Right click on the speaker down by the clock and choose. It's like show recording devices or show input devices. It'll bring up like a big old list of all the attached input devices, and some of them won't make any sense because they refer to devices that may or may not be there. But what right. I was gonna say is start your cassette 
playing so that it's sending input. And because each one of those devices in that device list should have a little UV meter by it. But it won't show a device on a, on a, on, a, on something that's plugged into the audio jack, I don't think. It would, like if well, it was a USB or if there was a driver for the device. Well, where I was going with it is if it if it is right in there, and it's just because there's, you know, there's input one and input two and line in and mic in and whatever, and you're not sure which correlates with which, if you've got input coming in, the green bar next to the one that it's yeah. plugged into will be moving up and down. So that'll right, that, that right. might help you out. Well, it's all, it's also important to consider yeah. that you know you do have it plugged into the right jack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely. Got to make sure. And I can't remember what the color coding is on those for uh, the audio yeah, yeah. input, but a green. I think it's green is in, right? Yeah, green's green's in, and and the the pinky pink one is headphone out. I think. Do you know what blue is? Uh, it might be line in if it's blue. And how would that be different than what I'm looking for? All right, so the thing the thing you have to be careful when you're bringing sound into your computer is that if the device itself has the the ability to amplify the signal, uh, then you can, you know, if you turn up the volume on the cassette recorder, it turns up the input that goes into the computer. So the line in is supposed to keep that at a, a, a modulated, like, two amp or i forget what the measurements they use are but a line in it is, doesn't do its own amp it, it's it's an unamplified just straight signal that then you use the audio controls on the computer or the amplifier of the device that you're using to to modulate that signal so you want to so a lot of times you do want to use the line in from from a from something like a, a tape deck from yeah. anything that's amplified yeah if right, it's, if right. it's, so are you plugged into the blue or the green? Well, and I'm blue. looking at the sound card color code chart here. Um, and generally, and it'll always vary by manufacturer, but it says here generally light blue is stereo line in. So, That's it. so yeah, right. you, you want it in there. And do I have to turn off any of the other uh, signals coming in, like from a microphone, uh, in order to get the line in to work? You shouldn't have to. Yeah, I mean, you you could try, but yeah, you shouldn't. You okay. Shouldn't have to. Well, maybe that's what I'll do. Is I'll just unplug, like the microphone and so forth, and and see if it defaults to uh, the line in. I remember also when one of the things you can always do when you're troubleshooting like this is verify your inputs and verify your cables. So you might want to make sure if you have a way to to verify that the line out on your cassette deck is actually outputting. You know, plug it into something else if you've got like a stereo receiver or whatever plug it into that just to make sure you're getting sound out of there always right. yeah, want to no, check yeah i've already done that I, okay. I put in a different set of headsets and so forth and right, it's good definitely deal. coming out of the out of the machine got to so. do your due diligence and the other thing <laughs> is is uh try if you want to get a good recording program there's a free program called audacity i'm on that right good okay. good good and it should also allow you to pick your sound sources inside of Audacity. Ah, okay, yeah. I haven't looked for that. All right, it great. has the microphone, it has the speaker settings, so you might try that. Yep. And also, you know, don't be afraid to look around online. To uh, there's a great page I'm looking at right now. It's inline tech tips. It says how to record cassette tapes to your PC computer using Audacity. So I just Google searched. Uh, I just Google searched. Um, Capture audio from cassette player, and that found this great page that talks about all the different steps and and where to check for different things and which ones to plug into. But one of the things is uh, it does talk about you know setting the uh, audio levels on the mic because once you have that signal coming in, 
uh, there's a thing in Audacity where it has a little picture of a microphone, and if you oh, click yeah. on that, you can do a slider on the microphone. You can try turning up the volume to see gotcha. what you're okay. getting from it. Jeff, just chop your problem up into parts and make sure each part is working. You've checked the stereo. You know the you know the tape deck's working. You're sure the cable is good, so the problem is yep. probably somewhere with the computer, so that's where you want to focus. All right. All right. Well, thank you very much. All right. Well, best time. of luck. We appreciate your call. Thanks. Have a good mm-hmm. night. Bye. Well, I tell you, one of the things that uh, that that was like one of the most popular questions I would ever receive is just people that were looking to convert either cassettes or vinyl yeah. to digital. And one of the hardest things, I mean, this guy's got a handle on it, I think. It sounds pretty good. But a lot of people struggle with the idea of audio out from one device and audio into another device <laughs> and how that all kind of works together. And they're just completely lost. I mean, these people... You know, that's why the people in the stereo department at Best Buy, you know, are some people's best friends (laughs) because they'll sit and explain, like, your audio out from here, audio in from here. And I would get email after email after email after, how do I record my vinyl? How do I hook it up to my computer? And without even a basic understanding of having to be able to get a signal from one device input into another device. Yeah. Well, it's it's not necessarily intuitive. You know, and you generally only set your stereo up once, and then you never have to worry about it again. And then years later, when you're like, "How do I get this into a different format?" Then you got it's all complicated. Well, I remember the early days of of having sound. I mean, because I remember installing some of the first multimedia kits into computers, like in the in the early '90s, and and people were going nuts to have you know this capability in their computer to be able to play music CDs and rip CDs and have audio input. But I remember even before that trying to find a 16-bit audio card mm. and they just didn't exist i think uh i can't remember the company it wasn't turtle beach but it was one like that that had one that was a pro gear that was like 500 dollars, you know for the sound card you could later a few years later buy like for should, like 30 or 40 dollars i feel like i should know the name of this that used to be like the world i lived in yeah but yeah, you said it's not Turtle Beach, and I can't think of. I, maybe it was Turtle else. Beach, but I, I can't remember for like, sure. Guillaume or somebody. I, I'm I'm blanking on it. It wouldn't be Gravis because that was more of a game-oriented card, and that was later anyway. Oh, or Sound Blaster. No, it wasn't Sound. Be... Sound Blaster later turned it up, turned the world on its head when they came out with all of their stuff because it it was great and cheap. But it might have been. Maybe it was <laughs> Wasn't trying. that cheap back in the day? Later it was. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Oh, yeah, remember. early on it was either dirt cheap, you know, came with your computer and sounded equivalent to a, you know, 1987 cassette recorder, or you could, or you had to spend like professional DJ money to get real sound. I remember back in, back with my 386 and my, my 120 meg hard drive fiddling around with my Sound Blaster 2.0 and, trying to record audio with the microphone with me and my friends doing dumb stuff and realizing that a 44.1 kilohertz 16-bit sound file takes up like my entire hard drive for more than after if you record for more than a few seconds man we've come so far might have been the ad lib no ad lib was junky that was just fm synth they didn't have they didn't even have a um digital recording it was turtle beach i remember i had to go to the the only place that would sell them was like evans music (laughs) you couldn't buy them at any other place and there was no amazon back then so maybe it was turtle beach i can't remember i don't know they they did make high-end stuff they did 
I, just, I don't remember. My memory's not what it used to be. Yeah, well. I didn't remember control alt delete. Though. But do you remember your do you remember your blaster equals <clears throat> configsys file setting that you had to enter in? I uh, remember, you know, not loading the print driver and loading up the sound card <laughs> driver so you could play certain games. Oh, yes. I remember QEMM. <laughs> I was going to say, then you pirate a copy of QEMM386 and those problems go away. Well, that was the cool thing when somebody returned a copy of QEMM386 at Best Buy and I was able to get the floppy disks and make a copy been, of it. Been it opened? Yeah. And make a copy of it, so I had it because that was not a cheap piece of software. I don't know. I only ever saw it pirated on BBS. <laughs> I was a young, I was a young twelve-year-old without the means to buy such things myself. Well, you know, you need a pirated uh, optimization program to run your pirated software that you downloaded from the pirate BBS. Arc. I mean, yeah, kinda. <laughs> yeah. I remember when games got to be so ridiculously large that you could, you know, that downloading them from your favorite BBS was really problematic. It was just way too much of a chore. Yeah. Um, it's going to take me about two and a half to three weeks to download the 16 floppy disks. <laughs> well, you got to remember what the, what the rate, I still will, I still have burned into my head how long stuff takes to transfer at 2400 BPS. 100 kilobytes at 2400 BPS is eight minutes. A meg is about an hour and 10 minutes. So you're downloading that, you know, that that 20 megabyte game that you've had your eye on, you're tying up your phone line all night. I remember, well, you know, <laughs> while we're going down memory lane, I remember the, the breakthrough was ISDN. A meg oh, that's right. Meg. You had ISDN. I had, you were one of those people. I had, well, I had company provided ISDN because uh. I worked for an ISP. Uh. But yeah, having uh, having two channel. was just, yeah, this is the two channel one. It wasn't the, the ridiculous one. Wasn't, yeah, but even, even remembering that. 128K or whatever, but I can't remember what they're measured in. But it was, I remember that the, the benchmark was being able to download a meg a minute. Right. A meg a minute. That was that was revolutionary. Because a meg a minute, you could fill up your hard drive pretty quick. Oh, yeah, absolutely. All right. And so, even remembering that, though, even remembering that, though, you, you still groan when you put turn on your console and it takes 30 seconds to update something where it's downloading, you know, a hundred meg, uh, uh, you know, update to whatever game you were going to play. It's like, it seems longer for that wait than it did back when you had a modem and dialed in and all the, the other stuff. The bandwidth you know? in my pocket is 50 times more than what I dreamed of having yeah. <laughs> when I wanted to start my own internet provider because I thought the T1 was the dream. Right, yeah. 1.544 megabits a second, baby. Man, if I had that kind of Ooh. bandwidth, could I could start anything. my own internet company. <laughs> oh, we had. I remember we had my first dot com job was in two thousand one, and and the office was served by two bonded T ones. And um, oh wow, it was amazing. But very quickly within a year, it became very unamazing because you're not going like, to saturate that pipe. Well, we had like three hundred people in the office, and we very quickly <laughs> destroyed that pipe. Dual T ones with one one ha one of the T ones muxed out to phones. Well, but. No, there was a separate there was a separate connection for the phones, but I mean, you know, the, the they're so they were so expensive because they come with you know that bulletproof four nines SLA, and that's what you really pay for, and it's like dedicated wires. So I mean, each one of those T ones is like, you know, four thousand dollars a month or something ridiculous. 
And that's what you pay for with those what'd connections you, what'd anyway. What you find there? You I was looking at, out. I was had my ISDN question about what your connection was. If you were, and the terminology that I couldn't remember is if you were BRI, basic rate interface, or PRI, primary rate interface. You were PRI. No, you were BRI because PRI ISDN in the U.S. is uh, in North America. PRI service is delivered over one or more T1 carrier lines. Oh. So okay. you had you had BRI channels, yeah. which is would make sense because otherwise you would have had your T1 and you would have been living in insanity land. Man, I thought I was awesome when I got my 9600 BPS modem. Well, I remember when I got my fast modem when I got before I got the ISDN, but when I got my what was it 3600? What was the It'd be 336? 336. Oh no, I got a 44. Whatever you would have had, well, it would have been fourteen four. Fourteen four, you're okay. Right. Fourteen yeah, four. Fourteen four. Yeah, I got my fourteen four, or one of one of either the fourteen four or the the other one before that. And my friend who ran a BBS that I had priority access to because he'd bump somebody if I wanted to dial in. Yeah, but his modem was not compatible with my modem. Oh, it couldn't. My modem could not negotiate. What do you have like a Telebit Trailblazer or something funky? <laughs> something ridiculous. But I couldn't get it to negotiate down I, to um, talk to. My it. memory is that there was so there were there was fourteen four for where all the cool kids were. But then there was like the crazy pirate BBSs were on that that Hayes HST dual standard. They were at like sixteen eight, and that was like the super duper high speed crazy pirate BPS. This is clearly in the days before twenty eight eight happened well, and the great and, equalization. You know, and then I was learning the trick in uh, in the dialer to have it report. Just the modem's reported speed, not right. the actual negotiated not, or speed, the, or the serial bus speed, or whatever. Right, because yeah. people would say, "Well, why am I not getting the fourteen four connection to your right. internet?" Because I'm only getting like thirteen three or twelve because, two. Because life. Yeah, but so I I would I found the switch in the dialer that would just have it report the modem, <laughs> and so it would always connect at, at the fastest speed. Or look like it did. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, so times. It is. Get, what, do we have? Yeah, we should have time. What's the? We have a segment from San Antonio. We got Pete's going to do the next segment. Or do you think we have time, Pete? Or do we need to fill time I, until the break? No, I think we can knock it out. It's pretty short today. All right. So take it away. Next segment. Surprise. All right, I'll start with bad news first, or what, or lame news. Um, don't know if you've heard this one. Um, the LG Ultrafine 5K monitor, you know, the kind of the the only monitor that Apple ships to, you know, go with their computers anymore, since they stopped making their own. Apparently, if it's within six and a half feet of a wireless router, the display starts to flicker, and if it gets any closer, too close, the monitor goes black. And becomes unusable. This has been confirmed by an LG electronic support person, saying, "quote It only happens for the 5K monitors. We have not other LG monitors." Uh, if that wasn't bad enough, uh, 95 Max Zach Hall reports that his LG 5K monitor uh, with a nearby Wi-Fi router can freeze the MacBook Pro it's plugged into. Excuse me, into forcing a reboot to bring it back. When he moved the router and Apple Airport Extreme from beside the monitor to another room, everything went back to normal. Uh, so apparently not enough shielding um, is is the guess that that, uh, that sounds like the ed- is the educated guess on it. There's some key part of the monitor 
that doesn't have uh, the right shielding for from electromagnetic radiation, and so it uh, um, the, the best case but unlikely the point of weakness is a faulty Thunderbolt three USB C cable. Uh, the more likely victim is the clock generator on the LCD panel controller or USB controller. This is from an article at Ars Technica. So uh, um, hopefully they'll update that. And if not, if you're getting one of these monitors, keep it away from your Wi-Fi access point. Uh, and then now better news, the iPhone 7 Plus is the most popular Plus model Apple has ever released. According to Tim Cook, the iPhone 7 Plus released last September uh, is the most popular Plus model, outselling the 2014 iPhone 6 Plus and the 2015 iPhone 6s plus um, I guess the deal is you know the main it seems like the camera was a big compelling um, thing to to let people to make people want to buy the other one uh, Cook said that Apple had underestimated demand for the iPhone 7 plus leading to supply and demand issues with the device that impacted sales in other words they could have sold more if they'd expected it um, despite that Apple saw record iPhone sales this is all iPhone sales. Uh, in the last fourth quarter, selling a total of 78.3 million iPhones. And then finally, this one is a little different. This is more out there future stuff. Um, and the source on it is is <laughs> a Facebook post from Robert Scoble. Um, apparently, he has determined that Apple and Zeiss, um, you know, Carl Zeiss, the, um, the, the lens experts... Yeah, camera experts are working together on augmented reality optics. Wow. Um, as I simply confirmed the rumors that Apple and Carl Zeiss AG are working on a light pair of augmented reality, mixed reality glasses that may be announced this year. Well, that would be cool. All right. Well, the music tells us we have to take a short break here, but we're going to, so we're going to do that. We'll come back after a few station break messages and if you want to be on the air with us tonight, 713-526-5738. You are listening to Technology Bites. I'm Jay Lee. I'm Peter Hughes. I'm Flicked And he's Groove House. Yay, Groove House. Houston Area Women's Center invites you to participate in its 29th annual Race Against Violence. The 5K race will begin promptly at 8 a.m. on Saturday, February 25th at the Houston Area Women's Center, located at 1010 Wall Drive. The kids' fun run will begin approximately at 8.30 a.m. This is a chance for our community to join together and let survivors of domestic and sexual violence know that they are not alone. For complete event details, including how to register to participate, you can visit hawc.org. You're listening to 90.1 KPFT Houston, 89.5 in Galveston, and KPFT.org online. Find KPFT on social media at KPFT Houston.
remember 2016 as a monumental year. We look toward 2017 with big questions and many unknowns. You rely on KPFT for open conversations, engaged culture, and insightful analysis. These values matter now more than ever. With KPFT's Winter Fund Drive concluded, we wish to thank you for your contribution. Your financial support sustains KPFT's financial health and independence. If you didn't get a chance to help during the campaign, you can make a tax-deductible contribution now at kpft.org. As you give to organizations that have real impact in your life and your community, now is the time to support Real Radio when you need it most. Give at kpft.org. Thanks again from 90.1 KPFT Houston. You're listening to 90.1 FM KPFT Houston, and now is not time for... Barrett time. Barrett time. All right, so Barrett time. Barrett time. Hey, Lee. Hey, Lee. What's, What's happening? happening? Oh, nothing much. <laughs> I don't know. Well, the I room around know. town. We interrupt this skit to bring you <laughs> Lee time. time. Lee time. Lee time. It's a good, uh, it's a good football story. Uh, yeah, that means it's time for Lee time. Uh, uh, speaking yeah. of Lee, you know, anyway, isn't it cool that take it away, it's Lee. Super Bowl Lee? Uh, this one, <laughs> it's Super Bowl L.I. Uh, yeah, it is. Super Bowl Lee. Super Bowl Lee, Lee. in Houston. Lee. <laughs> I'll take it. All right, so uh, story time. Story I'll, time. I'll keep, story I'll keep it brief. Time. Tell us the story, Uncle Hutchinson. Uh, I'll keep it brief. <laughs> so a number of years ago, um, probably circa 2005 or six or something, it's days. been a while. The olden days. Um, my yeah. uncle was at the time working for Clear Channel Communications, and he had... Um, Clear Channel obviously has a hospitality suite down at the Reliance Center, uh, and my uncle had scored the tickets for a Texans-Browns game um, at the and the hospitality suite tickets for the Texans-Browns game. It wasn't going to be able to make it, so he gave them to uh, my mom and dad and me and and my wife. So we we showed up, um, had the nice reserved parking, went into the the suite, and if you've never been into the the super duper fancy suites at Reliance Center, they are very nice. You have your own little private bathroom and private little food area, and then the place where you sit, um, there's like a little group of twelve seats, kind of you know sectioned off, and there's um, the 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 hospitality suites are all on kind of a row in like the middle of the, the, the middle of the stands. And so when you are sitting in your seats, you can look to the left and look to the right and you can see the seating areas for all the other suites all around you. Like the, the kitchen part is, is private, but when you walk out to your seats, it's, it's just sort of separated by a little bar from everybody else's little, you know, like a railing. And it just so happened that the visiting team owner booth is this is the booth that was right next to the the Clear Channel booth. So this mm-hmm. was the Cleveland Browns, and so we're out we're out there sitting, the game's going, and and um, I noticed that my dad keeps looking over to the right at the visiting team owner's booth, and there's a you know bunch of folks over there, a bunch of guys in suits, and there is this one just enormous fellow in a track suit, kind of watching the game. And my dad keeps looking over at him and looking over at him and looking over at him. And finally, this you know, enormous guy stands up and kind of walks to the back like he's going to get some food. And my dad jumps up and walks over and leans over the railing and um, whispers something to one of the people there. And the guy he whispers to starts shaking his head like, no, 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 no. So my dad comes and sits back down. And I asked him, what what, what are you doing? What, are you, what, are you, what did you ask? And my dad said, oh, well, I was asking, uh, I was asking if I could say hello. To the to the to the guy, and I was like, "Why would you want to say hello? Who is that?" And my dad's like, <laughs> "That's really funny." And I was like, "No, no, really, who is that?" And my dad goes, "That's that's Jim Brown." 
and um, and being the non-sports fanatic that I am, I was like Jim Brown, Jim Brown, Jim Brown. Who's Jim Brown? My dad's Wasn't like, my dad's like, he's the guy from Mars Attacks. And I was like, oh my god, that's Jim Brown. That's awesome. You thought it was some kind of sports dude. It is a sports dude, but he's also. Oh, come on, Jay. No. <laughs> yes, Jim Brown is a huge sports dude. Jim Brown is one of the greatest players of the game of football of all time. But your dad had fun at your... Same My dad, of course, knew who he was. My dad being a normal male human being, not like me, and apparently not like you, Jay. I'm not like me. And What's the name of the team? The, the Cleveland Browns. The Browns? It's not necessarily a relation there. Anyway, so, and yeah. Did your dad actually say Mars attack? Yes, stuff? yes. He, he said, he, 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 knew he, kinda, he looked at me with, like, a, I am disappointed in you, son, look. <laughs> he was like, but then he, <laughs> he was the guy in Mars attacks. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. But, yeah, no, Jim so you Brown. got me, can, too. Your dad got me years yep, later. Yep, yep, double. Yes, so Jim Brown is uh, clearly was, was just a huge human being. Just, But he was walking... He walked like really, really stiffly. You could tell that, um, you know, the, that time had taken his toll, years playing had taken his toll. And of course, what he had gotten up to go to the back to get when he was when he came and sat back down, he had a plate with like a stack of like forty cookies on it, and he was like he was going to get his cookie on during the game. It was great. Did you get Jim Brown's cookies? No, we left him alone because what what the guy had apparently told my dad was that Mr. Brown doesn't like to be bothered when he watches the games. So we did not say like I think at one point he kind of like waved. And you know, Jim Brown kind of waved back, but for the most part, we we left him alone. So that's my football story: well, failing to recognize one of the most famous football players of all time, until I was and told, disappoint your father and disappoint immensely. my father until I was told that he was the dude from Mars Attacks, and at which point I was like, "That's awesome." Right, well, your, pivoting on the movie time. theme, uh, I had a I had a movie weekend. Um, I don't know. Most of you should be familiar with Mystery Science Theater 3000, right? Yeah, of course. And uh, the uh, the mad scientists, uh, Dr. Forrester and TV's Frank, are touring and doing the MST3K treatment to movies around the country. And they came to San Antonio, and I got to see them Saturday night, Saturday night in person. Was Jim Brown there? And they... They so. played no, no. They played uh, Glenn or Glenda, the uh, Ed Wood movie. Oh yes, Glenn is not <laughs> and, homosexual. And, and I will say, Mystery Science Theater three thousand type riffing on movies because obviously they don't have the rights to that right. part of it. But uh, that type of riffing live in a theater when they don't have to deal with cable, you know, rating Sensors systems, or... etc., is even funnier. I gotta say though, when doing, the language is doing not, the, not limited. Doing the riff on Glenn or Glenda, that's that's almost too easy. That's that's like you know, Ed Wood movies are not exactly high cinema. That's true, but that they have the right kind of they have the right kind of weird there's enough kind of non sequiturness to it that yeah it's that, true uh, it is uh, a gives very, them a lot of opportunities i i have not actually ever seen glenn or glenda but i've seen you know ed wood the movie and they are they you know there's a huge bunch of glenn or glenda in the movie um because of because it's yeah, cause glenn it's or glenda wood. plays like an art film except the person making it didn't actually have some kind of overall concept for their art they just like threw things at it in to cover gaps or to to accomplish something. I mean, usually you can watch a movie and understand why they did something. And with Ed Wood's stuff, 
there's no there's no rhyme or reason in Glen or Glenda. He just there's huge amounts of stock footage of World War Two. Oh yeah, I can make a movie out of stock footage <laughs> if they'd let me. And and traffic, traffic. They they used multiple different setups of basically morning and evening commuting traffic. I, I mean, I know that Ed Wood as a filmmaker. I mean, we're way off topic here, but Ed Wood as a filmmaker obviously was was. Uh, we're being kind if we say he was terrible. But what you have to give the man is that he was incredibly earnest with his attempts at making like he was really trying to do something really great and was absolutely all in on the effort. Like he was committed to that. He did not, you know, half ass his films. He was he was all in. He just happened to make things that were really just terrible. really terrible. <laughs> <laughs> And then the other one, uh, you know, yeah, I'm right on the cutting edge. Then the next night I had a free movie ticket to because of seeing the thing the night before they gave we earned a free ticket. And so I went and saw finally saw Rogue One. Oh, yeah. Which, uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, which I, I liked, although I, I thought Grand Moff Tarkin looked kind of video gamey, his head. Yeah, he looked a, a little uncanny valley. And uh, I guess the other thing I'll say, it, it's... I don't know. Is I don't think it's. Does it spoil it? The final scene of no, the movie. It no, I think enough time has elapsed. <laughs> Shoot. You know, Han Solo dies. There, there's a, <laughs> there's an appearance. You know, so okay, you got a second to cover your ears or whatever if you're worried it's going to be spoiled this late in the game. But you know, when given that it's post her death, seeing Carrie Fisher at the very end like that. I mean, you figured there was going to be something with with Princess Leia towards the end. But then when it happened and it was so short and so fast and then suddenly, you know, there's her face kind of filling the screen. I will say I, I, I did tear up a bit. That, that really got me. Yeah, but that was I like – so, I wasn't really expecting That was it. so weird though. Why would they have – I thought that was kind of a big plot hole. Why would they have brought along the, the Tantive Four, the, the courier she's on? Why would they have brought that ship along? embedded inside the main command ship just specifically for that raid with her on board. That just seems like <laughs> that it seems like poor tactical planning. I guess it worked out because if she hadn't been there, the plans would have been recaptured and blah, blah, blah. But like, why would you bring, why would you bring her along? There, there was a whole Reddit thread about that. And there's reasons. I think uh -huh. I didn't okay. read that bomb and everything. It was a, it was a <laughs> ham fisted plot device. What do you want? <laughs> I, I, Star Wars, dude. Consistency. Chill out. <laughs> I want it. it was, I want and I didn't. I, you know, I had to look it up. It, it was, it was fully computer generated. Yes. And Carrie Fisher had seen and approved of it before. Uh, How is it they had the so many different you know, storage mediums, but yet had common interfaces for? I, I actually, and... that movie is actually a really great like poster child for making sure your company does encryption at rest because. Mm. Uh, if the Empire had practiced encryption at rest, then that uh, that heist of those plans would have been completely and totally useless. Because they would have gotten <laughs> encrypted data! Well, apparently they were relying on the code names for the for the different phases right. of the project or something was going to be what would secure it all, apparently. I guess. Yeah. All right, now. Nerds. Nerds. <laughs> uh, on Nerds. other other movie stuff, uh, you know, because it doesn't really fit into Try Buy or Fry, because they're just going to attempt it. Apparently, the guy who did Arrival, his name is uh, uh, Dennis Villanueva, oh, yeah, is news. going to attempt Dune. Oh yeah, and we're not talking about the Charlie Sheen Arrival. We're talking about the good Arrival. 
Hmm. <laughs> the recent one that, could, yeah. that, that was supposed to win awards, but I guess didn't. Or I haven't seen it yet, but I hear it, it was in fact very good. That is that is what I've heard. I from haven't many seen people. Arrival yet. I need to see it. Uh, somebody has. I've, a... I've heard it. it. It's it's a good movie, but like as you get into the end, it has a total like brain screw. Like I, I've heard that the ending is very complicated. Kind of like 2001. Yeah, kind of like 2001. Kinda well, like... maybe not quite like that. Like, it's not just like this is completely open to interpretation. You just watch colors for the past 15 minutes, but kind of a <laughs> kind of a big kind of a big spoiler. Well, that's what. It, what, what, what? <clears throat> but yeah, he's doing Dune. Which so let's see. We've got the the uh, Alejandro Jodorowsky's attempt at Dune, which actually in failing ended up giving us Alien and Blade Runner and so many other modern movies. So that was one failed attempt at Dune. We had David Lynch's Dune, which, you know, was David Lynch's Dune. <laughs> we had the Sci-Fi Channel's Dune Mini, and I think there were actually, like, there were subsequent Dune. Like, they did Dune, and then they did, like, Dune Messiah and Children of Dune. Like, they did a couple of different ones Sci-Fi did. And those were okay, but, eh... Yeah. So what are we going to do? Is this next one going to be the Dune to Dune all Dunes or what? And how easy is it to translate a story like that, even just the first book, into, you know, two, two and a half hours? Well, Popat on well, Twitter he's, said he's that... he's been it... hired to make the first in a series of Dune movies. Uh, oh, the new Dune My hope franchise. is they aren't going to do a book a movie that maybe they could, I don't know, or how, although how would you divide that up? It'd be really complicated. There's like man. 400 books. Well, <laughs> there's there's the Frank Herbert books, and then there's the Kevin J. Hacky McHackface. I can't say radio words to describe how terrible he is. Kevin J. Anderson books, which are you know Dune in name only. But yeah, I mean the the, Her- the Frank Herbert ones were getting pretty thin by the by the end. It well, they didn't end. To... I mean, chapter. I think the last one was Chapter House Dune, and it ended. Like on a essentially a giant cliffhanger, and then Frank Herbert, you know, up and died. So yeah, no more. One of the best tweets I saw in this is uh, was from Popat. He said, "I fear this may crush my dream of Dune as a Wes Anderson vehicle with Bill Murray as Baron Harkonnen." <laughs> I would watch that. I would absolutely watch. I would absolutely watch Wes Anderson's Dune. Somebody else said, "On the bright side, we won't have to suffer Gwyneth Paltrow as Benning Gesserit, Mother Superior." <laughs> Jason Schwartzman is uh, Fade Rafa. Oh yes. You know if 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 it's uh, yes. you know maybe it'll be maybe it'll be the remake of Dune that was the rebirth of uh, you know like the last uh, Mad Max film really had nothing to do with the previous franchise and it was just a reimagining with really good special effects. Well, yeah, but kind of every Mad Max movie was a reimagining. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess the first well, the first one was Road Warrior, right? Road Warrior no, was Mad like Max. or was Mad Max was before Mad Mad, Road Warrior? It was Mad Max? Okay, wasn't it Mad Max? It was Mad Max. And in the, Mad and Mad and in the first Warrior. one, like civilization was going away, mm-hmm. but it wasn't like gone yet. Right. Like they still had like cities, and he still worked for something that police. vaguely resembled a police, police force. Yeah. I'm just waiting for somebody to reboot a boy and his dog. Have <laughs> <laughs> you ever seen that movie? I, I don't. I don't know. What, then what, will they, oh, what, will, what will they take around to Apocalyptic Don shows, Johnson, you know, with Fritz the Cat on the double bill? <laughs> Is this like the... a boy and his dog has Don Johnson as the as the protagonist in the film, and it's a post-apocalyptic, uh, and the dog has a psychic connection to him. Oh, 
I have heard it's, of uh, this. It's Harlan Ellison wrote the book, I believe. I, I have heard of this. I've read this. If I could give you anything, go. No, no, no. I've read this Wikipedia article before. <laughs> now, like you had to, like once you mentioned that it was that it was post-apocalyptic, and yeah, I've read this Wikipedia article before, and I know it does not end well for like anyone involved in the entire story. But it's a great movie. <laughs> it's a great. I've movie. heard the movie is just really as bad as the apocalypse itself. It, it's mind numbing. But, <laughs> but see, what, but in my mind, the boy and his dog kind of was like a prequel to Mad Max. Yeah. Because of the way that Mad Max kind of set itself off on the first scene of that movie, that kind of like just desolation, lone guy out there. It was like boy and his dog without the dog and instead of a dog he had a car and instead of getting you know burned one way he got burned a different way what was that guy's name from a boy and his dog no 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 from mad max max was it midnight rider oh, oh what did he call that was humongous. the bad guy humongous was humongous. The no no road no warrior. i'm the midnight right whatever he mm -hmm. said he, he was the bad guy in mad max midnight rider whatever he would say mm -hmm. such good you're movies. not gonna catch me now not going to catch the Midnight Rider? Ghost Rider? Motorcycle Hero? See, I, at first I was thinking Knight Rider, but I'm pretty sure it's not Knight Rider. No, that's that's something else. <laughs> I'm afraid I can't do that. I don't know what you're talking oh, about. Get you closer back to Mad Max, if the car could talk to him. <laughs> Ooh, yeah, Mad Max is a prequel to Knight Rider. Okay, wait, I've got you beat there, because... <laughs> because... There was a made-for-TV movie called Knight Rider 2010 that aired as part of, like, a weird action movie block that one of the TV stations used to do that was basically that. It was a reboot. It was a, it was like a, this was in, let's see, Wiki, Knight Rider 2010. This was in... With the newer Pontiac. A 1994 made-for-TV movie for Universal Television's Action Pack. And it was like... You went into it thinking, this is going to be cool because it says Knight Rider and I'm 12 years old and Knight Rider is basically the greatest thing in the universe. But oh no, it was like Knight Rider in name only. There was like some dead lady spirit that possessed a car. <laughs> oh, my mother, the, the car in the post Knight Rider. But it was, yeah, in the post-apocalyptic post desert and it had, uh, it was just, it was just terrible. There was nothing in it that had anything to do with Knight Rider except that there was a car and the car didn't really even It was like talk. an extension of Christine or Maximum Overdrive or something? No, no, no. <laughs> the, the car was good. Um, but, yeah. <laughs> Simpsons had that parody of Knight Rider but, called Knight But you Mode. did some growing up that night, I right? did some sad growing up. And I know it had, um, the actor who played Leon in, um, Blade Runner... Who is a very who's in every sci-fi movie? Who's the actor whose name I cannot think of? The one who didn't know what to do with the turtle. The one, yes, it's like I'll tell you about my mother. <laughs> uh, actor name, actor name, Brian James. Yes, definitely one of those. Oh, hey, it's that guy. Actors, because he's. I love him. Him and I was having this discussion with somebody else on Twitter. Him and like Michael Ironside are like two actors that will they will be in like any movie, and it's awesome to see to see them. Because they'll be in like some of the dreckiest stuff, but it's like, oh, hey, it's that guy. I like that guy. This movie's gonna well, be and, terrible because he's in how it. How do you? It's amazing. I don't know. Like, I get when he gets cast in like westerns as the you know backwoods hick in the back in the mountains, kind of because he's got the look, you know. But the sci-fi thing, I guess that's to his credit or his agent that they can that they can get him in those, and he fits. I mean, he well, yeah, obviously dude's he like works nine feet tall. Blade Runner. All right. Maybe that's the deal. 
Well, are there any other good movies coming out? That was a Do solid digression to... there. Yeah, it was. <laughs> um, This one isn't a movie, but it's sort of pseudo-breaking news. Apparently Reddit has banned the alt-right Alt yes. subreddit tonight. Oh, yeah. Starting tonight. Suddenly it's no longer there. Well, good. Too less, bad. less white they're supremacy not, They're not the saying air, anything about thing. it. Hey, so what, what, what happened with Pepe? He's still around. He's sad. Feels bad, man. He's our president now. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I'd I'd seen Pepe around, but I got some rare Pepe's if you want one. When, when did that turn into into an alt right thing? It it was co opted. I mean, it's just a dumb little meme from 4chan that you'd use, and and like it turned into this like really weird, complicated like alt right signaling mechanism. And who knows, man? Who knows how the internet works? <laughs> Crazy stuff happens on the internet all the time. So in the last hour of the show, um, I set up a a web IRC client for for the IRC our IRC server. We have an IRC server? Yep. Is it is it cuckoo? Cuckoo. Oh. No, that one died. There it is. Have we found a way to connect it to chat? No yeah. too. So do you, you want do you want me to add a, I can add like a webhook integration and you can feed IRC <laughs> into into Mattermost. It just goes with webhook. If you want to do that. This is we need to have one chat solution. We need to have the the final chat one solution. Chat to Bind them all. One chat to chat them all. <laughs> One cuckoo to chat them all. All right. Well, let's do another segment. What do we, we have? Can, we can use some callers, too. Anybody out there who's oh, got yeah, a thing point. they want to talk about, come and, come and call in and talk to us. The number is 713-526-5738. Have you seen any good movies? Yeah, we'd love to talk <laughs> to you. Talk to Groove House. you got to get past the, the Groove House screening machine. Just tell him, tell him how pretty he looks today, and I'm sure he'll let you on. <laughs> Actually, on the movies thing, one that's coming up, I did see a preview for it at Rogue One. Is um, Luke Besson is doing has a new movie and oh, it's called I'm like Valeria, the City Eternal, or something. It's got some kind of comic booky name. And you know, he did Fifth Element and a lot of others, and does very kind of fully realized sci-fi kind of worlds. So it did the stuff I saw looked pretty cool. Oh yes, Valerian and the City of a Thousand Planets. Which is something. That is definitely a title. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, uh, it, at least the, the the trailer played well, and although you couldn't tell what the heck was going on, which may or may not be indicative of the movie. <laughs> yeah, but it looked really great. So that's that's look best song. Oh yeah, lots of action. So so that one's. I think that comes out. Uh, let's see. When is the? Does July it say 21. when it's coming out on what you're looking at? July twenty one. So a few months still. Not bad. No. So, so there's that one on the movies. I think you've got a but, little bit. All right. Well, I guess we'll go to the segment, here. and then if people call in, we can. It's a, it's try by or fry time. Punch it. In the geek world, we hear about new gadgets and gizmos every day. But can they stand a dip in the snark tank? Well, uh, here's one uh, that got a few, got three things tonight. Um, you know that robots are going to come and take over jobs, not not uh, any of our jobs, you know, the hosts on the show. Of course, we'll be replaced by AI, no, not robots. No, human, <laughs> only humans on show. Do not speculate as to nature of <laughs> sentience. 
<laughs> I have a navel. No, we won't be replaced by robots because of the minimum of physical effort in any of the stuff that any of us do. Human Jay Lee, uh, guess... after this, would you like to consume beverages? Mass quantities. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, if the Cafe X, I don't know if it means X or 10, but I'm going to say X. If the Cafe X coffee robot is any indication, your barista might be among them getting replaced. Uh, built in partnership with leading automatic coffee machine company WMF, not WTF, WMF. Uh, the <laughs> Cafe X is a fully enclosed affair, delivering perfectly brewed drinks on demand. Uh, you can place your order at one of the touch screens at the cafe or ahead of time via an app. And when you get there, you simply enter a four-digit order number to have the Mitsubishi robotic arm grab your cup. Uh, currently open in San Francisco's Metreon, it offers drinks developed hand-in-hand -hand with local roasters, a.k.a. Verve and Pete's. Uh, no indication of, uh, on the, you know, they say, like, the, what the pricing is, and the, in this one, they're talking about the coffee, so it says $3. $3 dollars <laughs> plus. They don't say how much the robot is or any of that stuff, because... That seems more interesting to me is how much does this cost and uh, to get one at home, you know? Did you see the other it, robot? It, it... Hmm? Did you see the other robot from today? No. Apparently, is, no. Is it... You know, the, the people that make the – I forgot the name of the company. The people that make the, like, pack mule robots, the walking oh, robots. The, wheels that can the jump. one with I, the wheel. I saw that... the video that had the wheels that, that was, like, jump. That was scary. I mean, it was really cool to watch, but then I read a comment and somebody said, yeah, imagine if that thing had, like, claws on the end of those. I was like, oh, that is pretty scary because <laughs> it's going to catch you. Well, the, it, it the, if, if you go to geekradio.com and, and click the link for the, the Cafe X coffee robot, there's pictures. See, that seems much, much less threatening. Thing. It would just, like, throw coffee at you or something, <laughs> which could be scalding hot. It looks but... like something out of – it looks like something out of the fifth element. If you, if, uh, it, you know, it spoils nothing. There's a bar in the fifth element with a robotic bartender. And, you know, this guy's sitting there at the bar and he's just kind of pouring his heart out. And then the, the robot comes over and it's like, do you want some more? <laughs> you want some more? Perfect robot bartender. You know, no, no, no real, nothing but do you want more? Do you want more drinks? But, uh, it does look kind of cool. Imagine a, a kiosk, but instead of a person standing in the middle of it, it's got a industrial robot arm, you know, the kind of multi-direction automobile assembling-looking kind it. of robot. They, they just took an old auto-assembly one and made it do coffee. You want some more? Oh, uh, no, that'd be cooler, because then it would be the, like, crappy discount kiosk where the... the Robots got rust and stains on it, and this is all like apple white and clean and new. So, uh, uh, and then here's one. So you know, when you're not working anymore, and and uh, so you're just hanging around and trying to make friends. Um, for people who have trouble with it, uh, MIT has made a wearable that knows how a conversation is going. It uh, uh, for those for people who have trouble picking up on social cues, uh, MIT CSAIL CSAIL researchers have created a wearable system that can tell whether the person you're talking to is happy or sad. It's a start, it says. 
Uh, the device takes an existing research grade wearable, uh, Samsung's Simban smartwatch, and pairs it with audio capture that can pick up signals like tone, pitch, energy, and word choice, and provide a transcript of the text. Then it weighs all the incoming signals, and algorithms classify each five-second installment of conversation as either positive or negative. So just think of all the high school kids who, but I, you know, we need to get our scam version out that'll tell you if he really likes you or not. So, uh, um, but uh, apparently, you know, so apparently we're going to automate even the like figuring out if the other person is bored in your conversation. <laughs> so thanks, MIT. <clears throat> Nerds ruin um, everything. <laughs> uh then finally this one actually i guess this is kind of uh they i saw one during obviously rogue one the little kind of uh the little tiny um four-wheeled droid that rolls around with with stormtroopers and serves no apparent purpose whatsoever i couldn't figure out why it's there other than to be in the scene in the first star wars movie where the wookiee roars at it and it runs away uh, you know, the little black one with the skateboard wheels. Uh, this one is along the same lines, but useful. Um, somebody has designed a cargo-carrying robot. And so it looks like, if you imagine, it looks like it's about the size. It's got, like, bicycle tires on each side. And then the body is all inside between the two bicycle tires. And so, I don't know, it looks like it's about a foot or a little more than a foot wide and the bicycle tires are on the sides of it and you can put stuff in it and then it will follow you when you walk to, when, you know, when you walk or ride your bike to get home. Uh, it's designed to solve the problem of needing a car or truck to move packages through the urban landscape. It's called the, the Gita car cargo carrying robot. It's 26 inches tall and capable of carrying 40 pounds of stuff at speeds of up to 22 miles per hour. Uh, it's main. It's designed to accompany you without notice, letting you walk, jog, run, or bike to your destinations while it follows along behind. In addition to simply following you, it can also move by itself on a pre-mapped schedule, picking up lunch, packages, and anything else you need while you focus on more pressing matters. Uh, created by the company behind the iconic Vespa, it also looks right at home on city sidewalks. <clears throat> this is one of those that has the pricing to be announced <laughs> so although it could be really you know this one actually could be useful depending on what it cost uh, imagine you know you don't need a shopping cart you just this robot follows you you walk through the grocery store and you put your stuff in it and walk to the counter and they check you out and then it follows you home you still have to unpack the stuff and put it on the <coughs> you know put it away but oh, um, oh never mind that's the clear. worst part <laughs> No, then you got to buy another robot. <laughs> you buy a used uh, robot arm mounted on your counter, and it can make you coffee and put your groceries away. What is my purpose? You put my groceries away. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I am in hell. <laughs> uh. Or it's like the toast toasters seem to be automated toasters with artificial intelligence seem to be a um, t 
to be a thing. Uh, they they had it on Red Dwarf, the that that sci-fi series, <laughs> and there's been several others. Now there's a name I haven't yeah. heard in a long time. <laughs> They're Red still Dwarf. making them. There's still new episodes oh, yeah, coming out. Really? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. They they just either they just announced or they just finished airing a whole new season or a uh, uh, they don't call it seasons a whole new series. Is it any good? I don't know. I didn't watch it. I, I'm not, seen, I'm not the really new ones up. I haven't seen, but yeah, I'm not. They, they, I, <clears throat> I dropped out of Red Dwarf right about the time they left Red Dwarf, and they were in Starbug for like 15 seasons. It felt like I kind of dropped away then, but <laughs> I understand that it continues. Hmm. Although the actors, like, kind of, kind of how it happened in Star Trek, all of the actors are now actually like really old, which you can't tell with Crichton because he's all wearing prosthetics. But everybody else looks like like Red Dwarf got old. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> yeah, I follow uh, the actor who is his name is Robert Llewellyn, uh, who plays Crichton. I follow him on Twitter because his Twitter feed has has always been kind of interesting because he lives like out in the country in in England, but he's very into like solar and electric cars and stuff. Way way early, long well before all the Tesla stuff, he actually had a um, he would he had a program where he would drive. He had like one of those Mitsubishi IMEVs or whatever, IMEVs. And he would go and pick up celebrities that he knew and basically do an interview with them in the car while they, they drove to do something. You know, they, they would, this is before, uh, what is it? Comics getting coffee in cars or any of those things he had. I believe he had the first show where it was an interview show that was done kind of entirely in a car. And, and when he started, obviously it was like, they duct taped like cameras in the corners of the dashboard and stuff like that. And eventually, and had a you know machine in the back seat or a guy in the back seat, even kind of running some of the stuff. And then eventually it got where it is today, where it's kind of, you put a few GoPros around and, and you're kind of set. Huh? So, uh, yeah, I think it was to fill his time when they weren't doing red dwarf and, and, uh, so kind of fairly innovative, but it was just because that was his interest. He was into solar and he was into electric cars. And and uh, I don't know how he came up with the whole, well, I'll get my celebrity friends to ride with me in the car while I interview them. I'm going to be riding around so with kind of like a red dwarf in a car in a ride car the car. With cameras taped everywhere and a guy in the back seat with a boom <laughs> If he box. talks like Crichton, I'm in. <laughs> Does he wear the costume? I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Excuse me, we have a problem. I need you to adjust the camera in my groinal socket. <laughs> my nipples don't work. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, you know, I remember liking Red Dwarf and then kind of falling out of favor with it. I don't think it's something I can go back to. Like the old Doctor Who, <clears throat> like, I can't go back. No. So, it's it's like the idea of it is a lot more funny than some of the reality of it. Yeah, the the, the vintage memories, you know. As opposed to the well, the first time reality. you discovered it, because usually sci-fi isn't sloppy and, you know, it's all super clean and, you know, Star Trek kind of utopian yeah. modern. And so the, the first place where people are unpleasant and, you know, have lousy diets and, and you know, there's rust and that kind of stuff, uh, you know, and then, and then it was funny because sci-fi before that, I don't think anybody... There, there'd been some attempts. If anybody remembers, what was it, Quark? Yeah, mm -hmm. the space had like had like a season or or maybe two. I used to watch it, and just when it was kind of getting good, then it was canceled because nobody but 
me watched it. <laughs> I, I ended up discovering Red Dwarf when in Houston they used to show it on PBS when I was in high school and they would show they did a they did a two show block. They would do Red Dwarf and then they would do Red Green, which is even though the titles are similar, it's a very, very different show. Y'all are forgetting about Far Out Space Nuts. No, I said lunch. <laughs> <laughs> Gilligan's Island in space. Yeah. With Chuck McCann as the skipper. What about what about Homeboys in Outer Space? I used to watch that. It came on the WB. It had Scotty on it. Homeboys? Come on, man. Am I the only person who used to watch Homeboys in Outer Space? I, apparently, I don't even know about this. It's one. a real thing. That was probably after my time of watching those. 713 <laughs> Save us from ourselves. I will say that there was there was a surprisingly good show on BBC that I've not on BBC America that I've not heard many people talking about, and I haven't gone out looking for discussions about it, but I watched what, it. What was it? It was Dirk Gently's Holistic Detective Agency. I keep hearing about it. And if you've read the books... I have not. They're great. But this show kind of diverges from the books pretty strongly. But it's got that same kind of Douglas Adams quirkiness to it. Yeah. And it really is... The first series was really good. You have to kind of like let it get up. You know, you got to get through a couple of episodes, but then you realize these characters are very interesting and the whole storyline is ridiculous and it's great. Oh, and right. it's got some surprise uh, act like, a, you know, like the guy from West Wing is one of the guys that played the, the bald guy in West Wing is in there. A few other people. But... President Bartlett. <laughs> <laughs> Not no. that guy from West Wing? No, 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 no. I can't remember the West Wing characters. But anyway, there's some good actors in it, some good storyline. If you get, can watch it on demand, I recommend checking it out. It's quite good. If you like Douglas Adams, even if you haven't read the Dark Gently novels, it's a, it's a worthwhile series to check out. And it's got Frodo in it. It does. It has uh, the, the one of the main characters is the guy who played Frodo from The Lord of the Rings. Oh, is that what he's doing with himself these days? Oh, he's being really weird. There's a whole movie with him in it where he's dead. Oh, oh yes, um, Swiss Army Man. Swiss Army Man, which yeah. had like one of the most disturbing, amazing no, trailers. No, I've that's ever Harry seen. Potter. That's Daniel Radcliffe. Oh, whatever. Oh, it's the same guy. Not, uh... Same guy. <laughs> no, it's not the same. Guy. <laughs> he played. He was the guy from Mars, Mars Attacks. No, yeah, he is. <laughs> <laughs> no, who is the guy? Dan, Daniel Radcliffe, and then the other one is uh, uh, I get, uh, Woods, I get the, uh, Elijah Woods. Okay, I get those two confused <laughs> easily. They look they look a lot alike. They're actually one one or the other of them. I can't remember which was on has been on talk shows and talked about how they get confused for the other one from time okay, to time, good. and they usually just roll with it. I'm like, yeah, all right, sure, I'll sign that. <laughs> yeah, I'm Harry Potter. You can Radcliffe tell by my American has, accent. Like, signed, uh, has signed autographs as Elijah Wood. Yeah, they they both have. I I believe maybe it was it was maybe it was um, Daniel Radcliffe who was telling the story. But yes, I, I have heard that and I believe it. Because you know you don't have any context. You just see the guy and celebrities. Gener celebrities tend to not look like you know finger quotes not look like themselves when you see them. I've got in real life. I've got the answer if I ever see. <clears throat> either of them. Mm -hmm. yeah. I'm going to just say I loved you in Lord of the Potters. <laughs> <laughs> you say you loved you say they were great in Star Trek. <laughs> I want to meet Will Wheaton. Or just say, how, much I how come Star you Wars. broke the big magic thing at the end of your movies? <laughs> yeah, that's good. That's, <laughs> that's ring, almost... Wand thing, whatever it was. Yeah, the wand or the ring or the bad guy 
Sara Voldemort. Got to take the wand to Mordor. Yeah. <laughs> Why didn't you just use the eagles to get there? Uh, <laughs> all right. Well, we're digressing. Let's do another segment since uh, we're going to talk about vintage TV shows and movies. And We'll burn the last 20 minutes talking about dumb stuff. We will. 713-526-5738 if you want to be on the air with us. We had a couple of good calls early on, but we'd love to hear from you if you want to be a part of the show. But next we have, is it? My calculations are correct. When this baby hits 88 miles per hour, you're going to see some serious science. Okay, well, this is going to have to do because it's uh, the last... uh... It's the last content I have. We usually, this is the like last line of defense against us having to Talk ramble freely. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, but a uh, couple, couple interesting stories on that. Or, or I can dig back into the stuff of the past couple weeks, the things that we didn't get to during Pledge Drive. Uh, Japan, you know, there's all that junk in space flying around in orbit. Uh, millions of pieces of random garbage since we apparently as humans can't go anywhere without leaving a bunch of garbage around uh japan decided to do something about it and built a high-tech junk grabbing tether into the cargo ship that it launched last month um unfortunately the now the japanese aerospace exploration agency jaxa uh believes something went wrong and the tether might never get the chance to perform its important duty so it's it's you know, at least on the plus side, at least they're not going to just eject it out into space so that it's even more junk floating <laughs> around out there. Uh, initially, the plan was for the tether to deploy from the cargo ship, which delivered supplies to astronauts aboard the International Space Station. On its return trip to Earth, the tether was supposed to pop out and grab some bits of man-made space debris and haul them into Earth's atmosphere where they would be incinerated. Unfortunately, Jackson now believes that the tether might not have deployed at all, bringing the experimental trash cleanup to an abrupt halt. So at least it's just you know still connected and in, inside the cargo thing. They think uh, the tether—it's kind of cool—measures uh, a whopping twenty-three hundred feet. Uh, was built of stainless steel and aluminum wire. Uh, it was designed with the help of a company that manufactures fishing nets. Uh, Jackson says it could still function in some manner if they manage to get it working before the cargo ship's scheduled re-entry this coming Saturday, but nothing is guaranteed. You know, this this gets into a tough part, you know, because if you're winging it with this 2,300-foot-long stainless steel and aluminum net thing, you know, I just get a picture of the, the, the thing is tumbling around and they eject it and it hits the space station or um, takes out some other satellite that you don't expect. Uh, Jack says, which Jack says has not been doing well uh, in the past year. Uh, early last year, the agency lost contact with a $270 million satellite it had launched just months earlier. And just last week, a JAXA satellite ended up in the ocean after the rocket carrying it failed to reach orbit. So they're not having a good day. You would kind of hope that the at least they could get the space junk clean up arm thing would work for them but uh we'll keep our fingers crossed and uh then uh finally um this one's from wired um they call it the mighty mug and the idea is that it isn't easily knocked over of course you can tip just about anything over if you try hard enough but you know how does a spill proof cup work 
uh, the, the the Swired article, they haven't actually, the, the person hasn't actually played with the Mighty Mug, but from looking at the video, he speculates on it. Uh, it seems the key component of the mug is some type of suction cup on the bottom. When you put the cup down, a rubber seal forms with a smooth table surface. If someone knocks the cup and the rubber bottom moves up a tiny bit, the interior air pressure will slightly decrease to a value of smaller than the atmospheric pressure. Uh, this atmospheric pressure on the top results in a force that can keep the cup upright, you know, basically down on the table. How do you pick it up then? Uh, honestly, the author of the article is not quite sure. If you had to guess, there must be some type of valve that lets air get back under the rubber seal when you lift it. Um, <clears throat> so they get into a review, a review of how suction cups, how suction cups suck. <laughs> um, <laughs> they don't actually suck at all. The force from a suction cup comes from the atmosphere. Um, if you imagine the atmosphere is a bunch of tiny balls bouncing around, they're moving around and as they travel, some of them collide with the surface. Since the tiny ball changes momentum when it collides, it exerts a small force on the area. The bigger the area, the more collisions and the greater the force. Um, if you also have air below the surface, there will be two forces. One is pushing down from above and a force pushing up from the collisions below. With equal pressures, these two forces would be equal, giving a net force of zero. Um, so in real life, it's not exactly the same, they say, but, you know, they're close enough. Um, getting back to the suction cup, there's a net downward force on the suction cup because there's less air underneath the cup. That's why when you push down on the suction cup, um, it, you know, if you, like if you have a, the old, those darts, you know, the dart gun with the rubber darts, it doesn't stick unless it pushes enough to get rid of the air underneath it. Um, and the, the thing that's interesting is that, that one wouldn't realize is suction cups don't work if there's no air. So, uh, um, so there's that. And, uh, so now you've learned about how, about spillproof cups, the headline, I like the headline on this spillproof cups aren't magic. They're physics with an exclamation point. And you get a free science. side order of how does suction work. Science. Thank you for sciencing us today, <laughs> Pete. Uh, so now we just have to fill out the rest of the show. <laughs> um, I guess uh, this is sort of sciency, and I didn't have it on the list, but we can talk about it. Is um, the I don't know if you heard about the the they revealed finally who made this. There was an artificial com intelligence computer system um, that played Texas Hold'em, No Limit Texas Hold'em, and won and beat some of the best players in the world. Uh, let's see, uh, they played against Dong Kim. Uh, who is not just any poker player. Um, he's among the best players in the world. Um, he said about halfway through the competition, which ended this week, the, the computer's called um, Libratus, I guess, L-I-B-R-A-T-U-S. Um, about halfway through the competition, Kim started to feel like Libratus could see his cards. He says, I'm not accusing it of cheating, he said. It was just that good. So good, in fact, that it beat Kim and three more of the world's top human players which is a first for artificial intelligence. Uh, during the competition, the creators were coy about how the system worked, how it managed to be successful, how it mimicked human intuition in a way no other machine ever had. But as it turns out, this AI reached such heights because it isn't just one AI. It had three different systems that worked together. 
So, um, let's see. And it, so it didn't use neural networks. Mainly it relied on a form of AI known as reinforcement learning, a method of extreme trial and error. So it kind of like um, AlphaGo worked that way, um, where it played game after game against itself and then learned stuff. Um, but uh, the big difference between uh, uh, Libratus and uh, AlphaGo is that AlphaGo learned by analyzing human players' games, where Libratus learned from scratch. So uh, um, it was out of, uh, let's see who made it, Car Carnegie Mellon came up with it, two computer science researchers at Carnegie Mellon. So uh, if your career, if you were looking for your career after your job gets, you know, your barista job gets replaced by a robot, don't try to go for uh, no limit Texas Hold'em because you're just going to find the robots are already there. Not going to make your million because the computer's going to win it already. <laughs> well, you wonder, you know, how does that? I, I get you. You get into this problem of because it can win. And and if it's that good that it can beat the best, then you know, you plug that puppy in on the other side of an online poker system, and nobody can really beat it. Sounds like um, a racket. Or what happens when they're playing against each other? You know, when basically the cheaters on each side are playing against each other, so it's artificial intelligence against itself. <laughs> never but, uh, never do that when you plug the computer into play <laughs> against itself it becomes instantly in, infinitely intelligent and then we all lose but it becomes so smart it doesn't need money and then it becomes a philanthropist oh well that's all right let's it do that then. i have no need for this money you may have it <clears throat> take this money meat bag <laughs> <laughs> all right well we have about 12 minutes left in the show and we're winding down. It's been a good episode of Technology Bites. A little light on the phone calls. We are hoping to uh, to encourage our listeners to call in. We're not asking you necessarily to pledge money, though you can go to kpft.org and make a donation because KPFT can always use the financial assistance to stay on the air. But if you wanted to participate in tonight's show, the phone number is 713-526-5738. We've rambled around a few different topics here. You don't necessarily have to talk about the things that we've talked about here, but we would ask that you keep it on the technology track. I see. Uh, did you get your Comcast back yet, Lee? Yes, I did. I was, I was How all... How do you know? Because I... All your stuff came back I online? texted Laura and I said, are you online at the house? And she said yes. I mean, yes, I could have done something <laughs> fancy like I attempted to SSH into my server and I got a response That's indicating kind of what I would that have expected. the. No, I just did it the old-fashioned way. Even just a ping. I mean, no, just... I I don't know if I I don't know if I'm responding to ICMP. I don't think I can ping myself. ICMP. <laughs> you, I, I bet you do. <laughs> uh, let me see. All right, there's a phone ringing. Proof Hassel. Take that call uh, let me see if it. I can. Let me see if I can ping. Oh yeah, I do respond to ICMP at home. So yes, I, uh -huh. I can ping myself. Vulnerability I'm, pin I'm testing. Pinging myself at this exact moment. Look at that. What's the response time? Uh, from here, 34, 33, 41, 39, about 40 milliseconds, it looks like. All right. I wonder what the trace is between here and here. Trace route to myself. It jumps from Time Warner here over to FBI Mystery Van. <laughs> what's, ex what's FBI Surveillance <laughs> Van? What is this? <laughs> 
FBI mobile Stingray. Oh, wow, we have two two calls coming Ooh. in. This is this is crazy. Oh, you guys going. responded to our call to action beautifully. Where right. were you last week? We'll see what happens. Hey, Groove House. Hey, Jay. Hey, 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 hey. What do we have, or who do we have? Phone call. Phone call. Yeah. Who is it? It's Nora. Hi, Nora. Hey, how's it going, guys? Good. What's going on? So, um, I'm just going to say, just up front, I tuned in kind of the latter part of the show, so I'm not sure if y'all talked about this, but I was wondering what your thoughts were about, um, you know, this is kind of Black Mirror-ish, if you're, if you've, if you're familiar with the Netflix uh, show, yes. about uploading, like, creating personalities, these algorithms that essentially, like, scan your social media and then create a, your, like, personality and how that's actually a real thing have y'all heard about that i'm familiar with the black mirror episode it's actually where i stalled out and watching the series i wasn't sure if i wanted to watch the whole thing or <laughs> skip to the next episode uh but. recently i kind of i recently on the news uh just kind of like one of those like headline kind kind of things heard about um, them actually creating some sort of like personality creator and how they could essentially upload your personality and I thought that was crazy and I just kind of wanted to put that out there see if y'all have heard anything about that and I guess I'll just take it off the air. All right thanks for the call and we'll yeah. see what we can come up with on All that. Um, there was a thing about uh, this is kind of like transhumanism um, and there was a, I'm blanking on the name of the group, but there was a, um, cult's probably not quite the right word, but there is a movement of transhumanists that, I did a big thing about it a couple of years ago, I wrote them up, uh, but yeah, it's, uh, <clears throat> the idea of being able to construct, like, a personality analog just from someone's online presence is, is problematic. I mean, in the same way of of the idea of being able to construct a personality analog from anything that's not a complete personality recording in the first place. Because if you, uh, if you're like anybody who's, if you're like any normal person, you compartmentalize yourself online. You compartmentalize yeah, yourself in all aspects of life. Yeah, most people only show aspects of themselves. Um, in, in, in all things, online, you know, at, at work, at home, you guys know nothing about my horrible dark secret hobbies that I have <laughs> that I don't bring to KPFT with me, like my... My My Little Pony addiction and all of these. Other, no. But yeah, it, it's 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 an interesting premise, but it's not a premise, I think, that that can exist in real life outside of science fiction. Well, can't you, couldn't, isn't it possible maybe to discern a personality by what's absent from their social media, the way that we detect, uh, you know, planets by absence of gravitational maybe. or something? I don't know. That sounds That sounds like a complicated metaphysical question, and it would depend upon... I, mean, I think there'd be a lot of options. You, yeah. you'd, have, you'd have to get tells from something in their other stuff to try to guess what of many categories they're ones that well, they're not showing. Well, reading people's Facebook page updates, they seem to have everything figured out based on yeah. what they're seeing <laughs> online. They yeah. Interestingly, this is this is a classic big data problem. When when you hear that that horrible buzzword, big data, this is this is kind of a big data kind of problem. The ability to synthesize non-obvious results out of vast data. What about sets. the long tail? The long, that's like when, <laughs> like, like on a brontosaurus or like a squirrel. No, the long data tail. The long data tail. But yeah, I mean, this is, I don't know. I, I don't think that this is something we would be able to see anytime soon. I mean, the information that you post on Facebook really is more useful in figuring out 
what the answers to your stupid security questions are if someone wants to social engineer your account rather than like actually giving any interesting insight into or what you might be interested works. in buying or something maybe. yeah i mean stuff like that but which and obviously that works very very well although for a long time me and laura shared an amazon account and it was like <laughs> you clearly like electronics and fashion you are obviously a big fan of this new video card and this lipstick so they kept on trying to sell you those um uh what are those called the 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 circular like electronic flowers that you sew into fabric <laughs> to, to do leds in fabric <laughs> actually would be kind of neat we we split them out now we have like the family account thing where she's got hers and i have mine and now our recommendations are normal again as opposed to weirdly mixed like pick up this sundress when you next buy cables I'm like what no so it's an interesting question i don't think it's a i don't think it's something that we have to really worry about at least not yet i mean when <laughs> when when the time comes where you're you know two-factor authenticating into twitter with your brain and you have to upload your brain scan in order to be able to log in i'd be a little more worried well i mean if you want to know where this is going i mean you just take a look you don't use facebook but facebook nope. does this thing every year <laughs> where they take your year and review based <clears throat> on your updates and who you friended and photos that you've published and and if you only publish really good stuff and fun stuff, it can be kind of nice to see. But if you know if you have death announcements for family or pets and that kind of stuff, it kind of scoops it up and turns it into a morose revisiting. <laughs> Do you remember your, last year remember? when your dog died? <laughs> yep. <laughs> remember how much it sucked? Well, now you can relive it. Because that was today, a year ago. <laughs> One year ago today. Rip those died. scabs off. Yeah. So. I, um... <laughs> Nope. Yeah, that's that's one of the many reasons why I don't use the Facebooks. No thanks. I like to leave my dog in the past. To leave your scabs on. Leave my scabs on. I There's a lot of pain. dead dogs on Facebook. I can't kind of, you know, it's like, oh, God. And they have their own accounts. <laughs> Memorial account. Oh, but imagine, imagine though, when they can, can synthesize your dog's personality and then your dog never leaves your Facebook feed after dying horribly that's, a year ago. Thanks, that's creepy, Pete. Yeah, thanks, Pete. <laughs> Good job. We Black, end the show Black on a great Mirror. note. <laughs> well, I'm sure that if my parrot nearly dies... <laughs> your dog poses. Can't wait to lick your face again. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, well, you've been listening to Technology Bites. We're so glad you could tune in. We'll be back next Wednesday night. I'm Jay Lee. I'm Peter Hughes. I'm Flicted. And he's through house. Yeah. Don't forget the geek gathering. Oh uh, yeah, there is a geek gathering uh, on Friday uh, that some people might want to go to. <laughs> geek gathering Lee, Li. Midtown Houston presents the Super Weekend Block Party, a three-day concert series from February 2nd to February 4th, benefiting the Midtown Parks Conservancy. These free concerts will be held from 4 p.m. to 8 p.m. each day at Bagby Park, 415 Gray Street. 
country and rock bands, the Mighty Orc, the Mike Stinson Band, and the Electric Cowboys kick off the Super Weekend on Thursday, February 2nd. Friday's stellar lineup of DJ Ilset, Los Envivo Kings, and Grupo Cache will get you dancing to the hottest Latin beats. Musical entertainment from Tamar Davis and the Kyland Band cap off this three-day event. There will also be fun interactive games to play each day, giveaways, and more. Visit MidtownHouston.com for more details. KPFT Houston. Your tax-deductible car donation helps make great radio. When you donate a car, truck, motorcycle, SUV, RV, or boat, we turn what is often a burden to many people into great educational programming. Proceeds from your vehicle donation benefit KPFT. Join others in your community by donating a car and helping create opportunities for local arts, music, and culture to flourish. Our car donation program offers fast, free pickup and towing from anywhere, an easy donation process, and an optimal charitable tax deduction. Call 1-855-573-8227 or visit kpft.org to donate. Again, that's 1-855-KPFT-CAR or visit kpft.org. Thank you. This is commercial-free, listener-sponsored Pacifica Radio. 90. This is commercial-free, listener-sponsored Pacifica Radio. 90.1 FM. 